Some fans are content to consume stories. Others want to expand on them or even transform them. Part two of our Fandom Perspective series is about fan fiction. A creative outlet that may even have contributed to the return of Doctor Who. Paul Cornell joins us to talk about fanfic's role in the wilderness years. And Shannon Sutterth and I compare notes on fanfic in the RTD years and today. On the May 22nd edition of This Week in Time Travel. Alyssa Frankie, I have one question for you. Oh, no. Is it ever going to stop raining on the East Coast? It is never, ever going to stop raining on the East Coast. It will rain until the end of time. It is always going to be damp and humid and uncomfortable. The only pleasant thing about that last sentence was your reference to the end of time. Damn it, Chip. Hi, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Time Travel. We're talking about fanfic in just a few minutes, but we're going to talk about uh, some of the news of the week. And the first bit of news was sad. Uh, We want to note, as many other fans have, the passing of Doctor Who audio archivist Graham Strong. You may not know his name unless you've listened to other podcasts talk about him, but this person was so important to Doctor Who. As you might recall, a lot of classic Doctor Who episodes have been deleted, um, some feared lost forever, except for the audio recordings. Graham Strong recorded the audio for many of the 1960s serials. He preserved it, and then he made it available for everybody to use. Because of these audios, there have been restoration efforts. It's been what's made the animations possible. Uh, It's been what's made the survival of these stories possible. So we're very sad to hear of his passing. um, And you know, his his work has been so valuable to the preservation of this show. Yeah. As was said of the Hitchhiker's Guide characters, Avod Beeblebrox, uh, Graham Strong was just this guy, you know. He was just a hobbyist who liked Doctor Who and had the technical wherewithal to actually attach a recording device to his television directly. So the audio that he came up with was better quality than many of the film transfers that went out of these episodes around the world. So in some of these episodes that are on DVD now, that's his audio. Even when the episodes were preserved, that was his audio. The Doctor Who restoration team has acknowledged just an incredible debt to Graham Strong for having helped make it possible that in some way, shape, or form, we have a sense of what every episode of Doctor Who was like. We do have some happier news as well to discuss, uh, and that is the fact that Catherine Tate and David Tennant are reuniting for a new TV show produced by Bad Wolf Productions called Americons. That one is written by Catherine Tate, produced by 
Bad Wolf's Jane Tranter and Julie Gardner, who, along with Russell T. Davis, brought Doctor Who back in the early 2000s. This is basically sort of a pilot situation. They are hoping that it's going to go to series. They're doing it for Sky One. And it is the story of Catherine Tate and David Tennant as a married couple relocating to the United States. So it sounds like a fish-out-of-water kind of story. If it's written by Catherine Tate... And if it's got the chemistry that she and David Tennant have together, I have no doubt that it's going to be screamingly hilarious. It sounds like everything I've ever wanted. (laughs) And uh, by the way, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, which you may not have had a chance to because if you're in the U.S., it's delayed a couple of weeks. But last week's Graham Norton show, David Tennant is absolutely delightful. Stay for the realization that he is wearing the same suit on stage that he's wearing in a photograph of himself that Graham Norton pulls up and it's just completely accidental and he's very embarrassed. But come there for his story about what it was like to discover that his Broad Church co-star was going to be the next Doctor. It's it's warm and fuzzy and I love David Tennant to bits and I love hearing him say tell stories like that. We are eagerly awaiting more David Tennant and Catherine Tate goodness. Absolutely. Well, let's dispense with the news real quick. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we will continue our fandom perspectives conversations on fanfic with a fanfic pioneer who was also part of the great fan-to-pro transition in Doctor Who in the 80s. That would be Paul Cornell. And then my wife, Shannon, is going to join us to talk about the current state of fanfic. This week on The Incomparable Network. It's time to look at this year's nominees for the best sci-fi novels as chosen by fellow writers. It's the 2018 Nebula Awards Overview on The Incomparable. Two words, Broadway cops. Four more words, The Incomparable Radio Theater. And a huge number of incomparable panelists respond to listener surveys in a game that is absolutely not family feud on the game show feed. All this and more at theincomparable.com. Paul Cornell is obviously no stranger to the world of Doctor Who or even to this very podcast. He was one of our very first guests. He is writing his own thing these days, uh, but he'll always, of course, be remembered as a writer of very important new adventures, novels, episodes of the rebooted television series, etc. and so on. He has a new weekly newsletter letting people know about the things that he's working on and revealing a little bit behind the curtain about his early days in Doctor Who fandom as as well. And he's been alluding to some things that we wanted to talk about in this discussion about uh, fanfic, the fanfic culture in Britain at the time when he was a fan and how that actually may have infused some DNA into the future of professionally produced Doctor Who. Paul Cornell, thank you for joining us again on This Week in Time Travel. Well, thank you for having me back. Take us back to your earlier days of fandom. And uh, these are some of the things that you do talk about on your newsletter, which we will definitely ask you to tell people how to subscribe uh, before we let you go. Uh, But what was Doctor Who fandom like for you back in the day? And what role did fan fiction have in the British Doctor Who fan community? 
Well, it, it was very interesting. We're talking about 83, 84, 85, when I first became part of, of organised Doctor Who fandom. And um, that fandom was overwhelmingly male. It really cannot be overstated just how few women were involved in British Doctor Who fandom at the time. In terms of the rest of the world, that's simply not true. But organised British Who fandom was very male. The fan fiction that I first encountered on, on arriving in, in that community, it was all about fixing uh, continuity problems or bridging gaps in televised Doctor Who. It was not so much in awe of televised Doctor Who as completely enslaved by it. I'm, I'm generalising, of course. There will have been great writers in that time I'm simply not aware of. And a couple of people bridge the gap from what I'm talking about here to what I'm talking about afterwards. I mean, you know, I was not I was not the trailblazer here. I think the greatest one thing one could hope for at this point was a twist ending, and there were a lot of twist endings. So many ships revealed to be the Titanic, or especially <laughs> twist endings that were about a piece of Doctor Who continuity. Oh, it was Totter's Lane, etc., etc. You know, uh, myself and a bunch of others who arrived at that time, we we started to want to write stories that were actual stories, that were adventures, that, you know, actually told a proper story that took some characters on a journey and might be a, a televised Doctor Who adventure, and not um, a sticking plaster over a gap in a televised Doctor Who adventure. This is all fairly self-aggrandizing, but there were an awful lot of us involved. You know, I'm, I was basically a, an innocent bystander for a lot of this. That sort of became a movement. We had our own little meetings. We had um, fiction meet, um, which happened three or four times, where um, we'd all spend a weekend at a, a fan fiction writer's house and hang out and talk about new projects and uh, write a story together. And um, I remember people there like uh, Gary Russell, um, Ian Atkins, Jackie Marshall, Val Douglas, David Tully, Andy Lane, uh, Peter Angelides, people like that, uh, Keith Topping, Martin Day. Basically, there was a great stew of competing writers. This is late, mid-Colin mid Baker on television. Um, none of us had any thoughts of, you know, becoming... Well, we may have had thoughts of becoming professional writers, but Doctor Who on TV was just way, way out of our reach. That was done by an entirely different class of writer. And um, But what we did have was an urge to, to make fanzine fan fiction um, more exciting and um, kind of add something to it. And I think we, we, we generally succeeded. We really shook things up. And then when um, what happened was when the show went off the air... And there was a, a need for, and still a demand for, Doctor Who that wasn't being um, fulfilled by a tele television show. Um, the two um, great custodians of Doctor Who, John Freeman and then Peter Darvill Evans, of Doctor Who magazine and the Virgin Books New Adventures, respectively, um, reached out to the people who were still those fan fiction writers and started giving them professional gigs. And um, so many of the names I've mentioned went on to get um, either Virgin Books or BBC Doctor Who books, or to work for Big Finish in the case of Ian Atkins, 
or to, you know, be a producer and script editor like Gary Russell. And um, Andy Lane um, went on to uh, an enormous career, still is, as the writer of the young Sherlock Holmes books. And uh, it, it was just an extraordinary creative time. It was really exciting. And it, it sort of dragged so so many new people into this field. And uh, in those days, your, your A5 fanzine would have some episode reviews, some interviews, and some pieces of fan fiction. There were very few specialised fiction zines. Um, and, but we kind of started to, to push things toward that. Um, when Jackie Marshall turned Space Rat which was a, a general fanzine covering Blake Seven and Robin of Sherwood and all sorts of things, and actually much more in tune with global, more female um, fan culture. That is to say, it would have been recognised as a fanzine by women, um, Doctor Who fans and Blake Seven fans in America. She turned it into Queen Bat, which was a specifically Doctor Who fanzine, and was a really good one. That featured so many of us. I edited my only fanzine in uh, 1985, which was uh, FanAid the Storytellers for the FanAid project for Famine Relief. And that this basically rounded up a lot of the uh, fan fiction writers of the time in 1985. And just flicking through it here, um, people like Steve Bowkit, uh, Martin Day, Val Douglas, Ian Atkins himself... Uh, Keith West, whatever became of him. Sorry, <laughs> I would just lapse into nostalgic reminiscence. Um, we also had pages from um, Tim Quinn and Dickie Howitt, uh, the cartoonist of Doctor Who magazine, uh, John Ridgway, the Doctor Who magazine artist. The cover was by Andrew Skilleter. Dave Gibbons gave us some art for the back page. There's a nice Andy Lane story in here, Jackie Marshall. And the great the great fan fiction writer when we all arrived and he joined in and kept going and produced some of his best work was David Tully and I recall that um, as we all started to get gigs on the Doctor Who magazine comic strip and the new adventures the new adventures especially it was have you ever seen the movie The Right Stuff? No I don't think I have well, I, I, um, I have seen parts of it yeah, it was kind of like the feeling amongst potential astronauts back then. Who's of, of all the pilots? Who's going to get the next astronaut gig? Mm. And we just knew as each new adventure was announced that our peers and competitors in the fan fiction community, who was going to come up next? Craig Hinton, Andy Lane, Peter Angelides, you know. Mm-hmm. And Peter didn't get a gig until the BBC books, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, uh, and, and David Tully, he was the great. He was Chuck Yeager. He was the guy who who broke the sound barrier. And I don't know th- whether or not he tried. I, I don't know whether or not he cared, because there was a great purity about David Tully. But he was the Chuck Yeager. He was the great pilot who never became an astronaut. And um, we always kind of... We sort of orbited around David Tully. There was There was a sense of competitiveness... And whenever a new writer came along, he, he'd, and it was usually a he, but um, so every now and then it was a she, um, would get sort of uh, assessed and compared and competed with. And, um, yeah, 
Yeah, it was an amazing. I've just spoken for something like ten minutes about this without <laughs> really without really illuminating very much. I think. No, you have. It's been fascinating. So, when you all were getting together to to write this fanfic, were you really following in a tradition um, that had been set before for fanfic writers, or did you just sort of come in and create your new spaces? We very much came in and created our new spaces. Um, we were in conversation with our peers um and we were we were rather kicking against what had been there before that was kind of the whole idea um fanzines like cygnus alpha um which started to feature the new fan fiction writing um you know shading that over places like gary russell's sharda which were very established very hard to get into zines and um you know, then in the 1990s, a whole different A5 zine culture came along, which was funkier still. Um, also, the, this, you know, this came in waves of fashion. That is to say, those of us who'd climbed aboard the new adventures, when um, Virgin Books lost the license and BBC Books got it, suddenly a whole bunch of us weren't on board with the new bosses some of us deliberately did not want to go you know they thought that we were virgin loyalists we didn't want to um move over mm -hmm. and this gave a whole new wave of people uh, an opportunity and they were all still fan fiction writers this is where martin day and keith topping and uh, peter angelides get in and um justin richards who'd been a fan fiction writer from the warwick contingent he got all the way to being range editor and is still there at BBC Books in the Doctor Who ranges. You know, there was this tremendous uh, ladder, this tremendous sense of um, everybody progressing together, competing, um, talking to each other, in conversation with each other. Who was your audience for this fan fiction? Um, was it yourselves and or, or who, who was who was the community that was devouring the fan fiction the people who wrote letters to fanzines it was like the very very slow internet you'd put a story <laughs> in um, you'd get the fanzine about, about six weeks later then you'd wait several months and in the next letters page there would be letters about your story um, so it was like the internet really slowed down and we were writing for each other because we were as um, the NME, the New Musical Express, um, first called the pop music of the 1990s, the scene that celebrates itself. And Doctor Who fandom at the time grabbed that slogan and plastered it over fanzines. We were very much the scene that celebrated ourselves. <laughs> so we were, we were writing for the gang down the Fitzroy Tavern, basically. And then the gang down the Fitzroy Tavern suddenly you started to include people like Stephen Moffat. And that was kind of the point where the professional world came down to meet us. And uh, I remember, I can't remember where I was, but as always, there were a whole bunch of us hanging out on some rooftop somewhere for a fan Olympiad or a, a fiction meet or something like that. And um, I think it was to Jim Sankster. Uh, he, he, no, I think he said to me... That was the moment it it all kick-started, when Moffat arrived. Um, when a guy who'd... We'd all been watching his show on television suddenly decided to join fandom. And I think at that point, this whole swell of distinctly amateurish writing encountered 
um, professionals coming the other direction and also uh, professional outlets in Doctor Who magazine and uh, The New Adventures and then Big Finish to create uh, an ideal ladder that you could actually go all the way from fan fiction to the TV show. And um, it's a, a set of circumstances that's kind of unique in Britain. I'm sure Star Trek has something similar going. Mm-hmm. I've heard similar stories of that on our side over here of people getting getting an in um, through fandom to at least be able to to prove their writing chops um, and to to show their interest in the stories uh, becomes basically your spec of moving ahead of being able to say, look, I understand this world, I understand uh, the conflicts here. So when you're writing this material at the beginning, were you thinking about, you know, developing yourself professionally as a writer? Or was this more for escape of just for fun of just writing things for fun with your friends? Um, A bit of both. But the opportunities rather wonderfully and almost by accident um, became bigger as our skills became bigger almost at the right rate. And um, as soon as one of us did something, the rest of us thought it was possible to do that thing and would try very hard to do that thing. I I think very few of us had the idea that any of us would ever be professional about this. But very swiftly, that became possible. When you were writing, you said that you entered into the organized fandom around 83, 84. When it began to become apparent that the series was in trouble at the BBC and might go away... Did that change the way that you all approached fan fiction or fan storytelling? That's an interesting question. I've I've been looking back at my my really earliest works of professional Doctor Who on my newsletter. And um, certainly my earliest prose story that I sold, earliest Doctor Who prose story sale, it's really very much a take on end of Sylvester McCoy style Doctor Who. But at the same time, it's full of my own stuff. There's references to fan fiction in there. Like the people who read this in Doctor Who magazine are supposed to have read one of Keith Topping's fan fiction stories. I use some of his characters. I use. <laughs> I make reference, reference continuity-wise to other fan fiction as, as if just offhandedly to me and to the only audience that was left, that should be part of the spectrum. Um, Now, the the average reader of Doctor Who magazine, even then, would not have been aware of all that fan fiction. But that's the arrogance I came to that with. And um, I I think that adds something to it. The fact that, you know, we were bringing a a new thing from a new direction. Um, We were a virus that was being injected into Doctor Who. um, Not slavishly following the Doctor Who that had been there, but changing it as well. And I don't think the previous form of fan fiction would have wanted to change it or been able to change it. Was the previous form of fanfic more in the order of we must not only conform but sort of reify everything that we everything that we've seen before? You said yes, you, be, you said early to, on that it was uh, a, a lot of it was uh, efforts at continuity patching. Yes, to be in service to the program. And, you know, some of it, and during this era, some of us regenerated the Doctor, did our own Doctors. These days, that's, you know, that's done a lot, I guess. Um, what's, what's actually notable is what we didn't do. There's so no shipping. Nobody ever even thinks about that. 
that's that's actually startling looking back at it G- given that um the offhand public perception of fan fiction now is that it's all shipping mm-hmm. i think we were so repressed or so limited by um what we thought doctor who should be and that was an asexual show that we didn't do that that says some really big things uh, in completely uh, unconscious processes of us that we we were just not going there and i have no idea why if i could shine a light on that because i've actually heard stories from star trek fan fiction writers at about the same time over in the states oh yeah and one of the stories that i hear a lot from those writers is that even then when they were shipping they had to be very careful about how they were writing those stories and who they were distributing it to because it got a fair amount of backlash from some communities if their materials shipping these characters got out and reached too wide of an audience, especially because the shipping at that time wasn't entirely just straight heterosexual couples. There was a lot of queer shipping happening as well. So it may have been that if even if anybody had been writing it at the time, they may not have, you know, wanted to share it or distribute it simply because they were worried about backlash to it. Because it, from what I hear from Star Trek fan at, uh, at the time, there definitely was a fair amount of that. That may be the case. It, it was it feels strongly to me like we didn't really think of it, mm-hmm. um, that we were programmed that way. And Doctor Who fandom being very queer in Britain at the time, maybe there was not that fear of backlash that there was in the, in the States. Or maybe um, because, you know, this is the mid-80s. This is not uh, the most um, liberal and informed times. Maybe we were all a bit cloistered about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that very well could be. So, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us about your involvement with Doctor Who fan fiction. Do you want to give a plug for any projects you're currently working on and tell us where we can sign up for your newsletter? Oh, well, you can find my newsletter sign-up page at paulcornell.com, my website. Every Friday, I've got a lovely blend of um, what's new for me and what's happening in my uh, family life and a history of my every professional Doctor Who gig. And coming up soon, I'm doing a, um, a an article on my unmade Doctor Who TV scripts, the mere existence of which I've only just started admitting in the last few weeks. Apart from that, oh, please read my, my Witches of Lichford books from Tor.com. Thank you. Paul, thank you so much for joining us once more on This Week in Time Travel. Thank you. So we're skipping ahead now and exploring the world of fan fiction from 2005 forward. Uh, And joining us for this conversation is our dear friend Shannon. Hello there. Hello. Are we just friends now, Shannon? (laughs) News to me. I just, I just, I, I don't have an appropriate answer for this here. I'm, so, I'm sorry if I have belittled your marriage. She's <laughs> my friend, right? <laughs> so, Shannon, tell us a little bit about uh, when and how you became involved in Doctor Who fan fiction. I actually had been into fan fiction before Doctor Who. Uh, I 
had been, of course, writing stories like a lot of young kids do as a child, as a teenager of whatever uh, TV show or whatever books I was interested in at the time. And it wasn't until I was online on a regular basis and around the year 2000 that I discovered that people were like sharing this stuff that they'd kind of been writing for fun online with other people in Yahoo groups and on forums and things like that. Um, and Don't at the forget time, I, Life Journal! I was getting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the first fandom I got involved in with fanfic online was the Harry Potter fandom. This was just at the beginning of the, the mini wilderness years, if you will, the three years it took her to get uh, Order of the Phoenix published. And that's kind of when fanfiction exploded in the Harry Potter world because people were filling time and waiting for the next thing. From there, I began Live Journal, uh, was one of the places that I hung out. Fanfiction.net was the big one at the time. And uh, some other smaller forums that were focused on Harry Potter. And then I started watching Doctor Who. Oddly enough, though, I didn't really get into Doctor Who fan fiction until Doomsday. Because, damn it, I had to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) You were a fix-it fanfic person. Oh, completely, yes. I, I started reading, looking for fanfic for Doctor Who and writing a couple of stories myself for Doctor Who around that time, um, mainly focused on the Doctor and Rose, but, you know, a little bit with Eleven and a little bit with other characters. I think my very first fanfic was the Tenth Doctor going to find Sarah Jane after the Doomsday events because he needed to talk to somebody and she had met Rose and would understand. I think that was the first one that I published. And from there, it just kind of grew for a while. And then it kind of faded again when my interest in the show itself faded for a while. And I just wasn't as interested in the Doctor Who world and moved on to other fandoms, um, you know, things that I follow, Sherlock, Sense8, Voltron, stuff like that. I'm still writing fanfic today. I'm still reading fanfic all the time. And it's been really interesting to watch it change over the years, how what, the different things people focus on. Because when I started reading and writing fanfic in the Harry Potter days, it was very still centered on the canon. People might write missing scenes. People might write backstories, like for the Marauders. People would write, sort of follow this one character into where they think the story was going. As Rowling finished her series and various people either liked it or didn't like what she was doing, you started seeing canon divergent things. So pick this point and write what you wanted to see after that. And that was predominantly my Doctor Who experiences, you know, either Doomsday never happened, or we found a way to fix Doomsday, and things got back together. And gradually during that time, I think in the, like 2005 to 2015, somewhere, fan fiction itself just sort of grew into a point where they, anything goes now. You know, you have things, you know, like I'm looking on my Tumblr feed and I'm on a feed that, you know, shows me every Dr. and Rose fanfic that's posted on Archive of Our Own. And I see the summaries and things are changing to where you've got the coffee shop alternate universe where, (laughs) you know, the two of them meet in a coffee shop or one of them works in a coffee shop and, you know, they get to know each other. Um, I saw one just the other day where the Dr. and Rose are two teachers in some kind of school and they're competing for the same resources in their classrooms and they start out hating each other. And I'm going to assume that eventually they get to know each other. Haven't read it yet, so I don't know. You got to get that angst resolution, though. Yeah, yeah, there's that. Um, Yeah, fan fiction is just primed 
for for angst because you know you know that if you're writing the story you can make it as bad as you want and then if you want to you can fix it you can make it a happy ending afterwards if that's what you want to do so when you're writing and reading this fanfic you're sort of engaging with the stories itself more so now to kind of challenge it or to break the mold a little bit or just borrow the characters and set them somewhere else for a little while I think so. Like I said, it used to be what I would see of a lot of Doctor Who fic and, you know, other um, and Harry Potter as well of, you know, again, stuff that still fit within canon somehow. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it sprang from a canon moment. Maybe it explored a backstory that we didn't get to see on the show. Things like that. And since then, fanfic writers have gotten much more creative, much more willing to mess with like the actual bones of the story and say, well, no, wait, what about this? Let's set it in this era of history, or let's set it um, with parallels to this other popular media that like the mashup now is a thing of let's put these two characters into the Marvel universe, or let's put these two characters in as the characters of this novel I just read. And I really like the, the, the mixture the, the mixing together of all of these different media formats, it's, you know, it, it's Jackson Pollock. Let's throw everything against the wall and see what it looks like. And it's fun. So obviously fan fiction is not just shipping, but modern fanfic has quite a lot of shipping in it. What is the importance of shipping and building relationships in fan fiction? Why do people love and enjoy it so much? Well, in part... We love romance at, at heart. We love seeing, you know, two characters, whether they get together, whether they stay together, whether they come apart again. I think we just love, even if it's, especially if it's characters that aren't together in uh, the canon, you know, what if? That's the whole point of fan fiction in the first place. What if those two characters got together and what would happen? Uh, and for some people, the challenge is, can I keep these two people in character and make this happen and make other people believe it. For others, it's, I'm not going to worry about characterization. Uh, I'm going to write, you know, what I wanted to see happen, whether it fits exactly the story or not. And the whole point of fan fiction is to have fun with the material, to play with it and see what happens. That actually seems to contrast a little bit with some of the things that Paul Cornell was telling us about the early fan fiction Mm -hmm. culture that he was sort of butting up against back in the day. Uh, continuity fixing, uh, slavish, mm-hmm. slavish attention to the source material. The little bit of fan fiction writing that I have done, uh, and I haven't done a whole lot of it, has been an effort to sort of slide in stories into the existing canon that would fit. I wrote mm-hmm. a few chapters of a Harry Potter fan fiction once. I wrote a spec script for Voltron, uh, Legendary Defender, that might as well be fan fiction because really the legitimate prospects of getting it published anywhere were between slim and none for for me the motivation was not to really explore relationships or characters or something like that just just to be part of the grander narrative uh, shannon and Alyssa, is that am i just an outlier there for not really caring that much about the relational stories no no I think it, it it differs depending on the writer. It differs mm-hmm. depending on what type of story that is that they're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, foundationally, whether you're looking at a short or long format type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's, a, if it's a drabble, you're more likely to get an adventure. If you've got 
something epic and long, you are looking at something generally more full of relationship building or tearing down. And that's not necessarily, you know, they're not necessarily directly opposed to each other either. There's lots of stories in which, you know, you go back and forth between that of you have several chapters that are plot adventure uh, and then a chapter interlude in which the characters just sit and talk over things. So it's definitely a mix. Yeah, like she said, the whole point of, I think, overall of writing fan fiction is you write what you would like to read. So if what you would like to read is very embedded in canon, but just expanding on, you know, these scenes or that continuity bit bothers you, how can you fix it and stay within all of the parameters? You know, there are writers that love that kind of challenge that embrace it. And then, you know, there are others for whom it's more about uh, character exploration, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, romantic or not, putting these characters together and seeing what makes them tick, you know, a la J. Michael Straczynski, uh, Londo and Jakar in an elevator, go (laughs) and see what happens. So things like that are very popular as well. Um, I, I agree that the idea of relationships is a massive, massive part of uh, fan fiction. Certainly, I think part of the, I think sort of the birth of the current wave of fan fiction may have been the X-Files in the 90s, where you had, you know, a huge number of women involved in this story, following this story. And, you know, we're going to find a way for Mulder and Scully to get together while we're waiting on the producers to do it for them. That's part of the reason I think that uh, there's an emphasis on relationships. Also, because so many stories, so many TV shows, depending on their focus, don't get into that. And for fan fiction, it's about filling in the gaps, uh, filling in what you would like to see more of uh, in a story. I definitely see that a lot in my fan fiction experience with some some of the more recent stuff, um, though I also dabble in classic Who fan fiction as well, uh, though probably more recently written fan fiction. Um, you get a lot of different motivations for people getting in there and writing that material. And a lot of what I see now is an effort to sort of very critically engage with the show. And I don't necessarily mean like hate on it. I mean that they are challenging some of the character choices. Mm -hmm. They are having characters more forcefully speak out about some of the things that they have experienced and to sort of really explain what was wrong about what they went through. Mm -hmm. Um, And you also have sort of a wave of people more explicitly queering up the show. Um, There's there's obviously been queer interpretations of the show since forever, but you get a lot more people being open and explicit about writing queer relationships. And one of the greatest things that I've noticed recently is a lot more queer women uh, relationships in fan fiction, Um, Mm -hmm. because uh, one of the trends is that the primary queer relationships that you see in fanfic are cis gay men together. And with Doctor Who fanfic, I see a lot of people exploring relationships between Clara and River and Jenny and Vastra and a lot more of those female characters lately. Uh, It's definitely provided a renaissance. Uh, The other thing that I've noticed that's been very interesting is a lot more people engaging with gender identity uh, in Doctor Who. Um, And there's a little group of fans whose material I follow who very explicitly label the 
doctor as being non-binary. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's really fascinating engagement with the show and and really trying to critically reevaluate it and and challenge what we know about it. Mm-hmm. And I think those are trends that are across um, fan fiction in general. Things like the gender swap. What if uh, Harry was a girl? You know, things mm-hmm. like that. And more recently, with the Voltron fandom, there's a character who um, presents as one gender and turns out later is another gender. And so there's a lot of non-binary exploration of that character in fan fiction as well. So there's um, the room the room to interpret, the room to explore, the room to apply your experiences into that world. All of those things are possible through fan fiction. I haven't really written a lot of Doctor Who fan fiction, and it is definitely not on the internet, so <laughs> don't ask. Um, <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I was working in a field where I thought it was best that my Doctor Who fan fiction not be available on the internets. I find it very fun to write and to engage with the show and come up with new different ideas, but I'm really sort of happiest when I'm a reader. I enjoy going through and just finding exactly the story that I want in that moment. I think one of the things that I've found particularly enjoyable about going back and watching all of the classic Who stories has been also going back and finding fan fiction for Mm -hmm. those stories, for those characters, for those moments. And weirdly enough, I've accidentally kind of read Doctor Who stories before I actually watched them through fan fiction. That happened to me with the Key to Time series. Don't tell Erica. Uh, but I <laughs> accidentally read the whole Key to Time in a Doctor Who fan fiction that was like playing around with pairing up different doctors and companions together. And then I go and I'm sitting down and I'm actually watching the stories. I'm like, oh my god. God, did I just seriously read this in fan fiction before I saw it? I didn't even know. I had no idea. So it's been it's been very fun. I love sort of seeing the different interpretations that people have across different mediums. Uh, and I love exploring familiar stories in, in new and different ways. So I might, you know, occasionally dabble in writing, but reading is where I am happiest. As long as you're leaving comments. Yes. <laughs> So where should uh, Doctor Who fans who want to discover fanfic for the first time go? There is the main archive, I guess. I don't know how active it's still running these days, but uh, whofic.com, also known as a teaspoon and an open mind, was the place where I started finding my Doctor Who fanfic. I'd also highly recommend Archive of Our Own because of their tagging system. They have one of the best methods ever to search and filter and find exactly the kind of stuff you're looking for. You can type in the tag, Coffee Shop AU, with whatever character or whatever pairing you are interested in, and then it searches for you and finds it. Um, if there are things you don't want to read, you can you know ask the filter to take out tags referring to that. So you can curate exactly your experience and enjoy exactly the content that you would like to read. And of course, there's always the old standby fanfiction.net, of which has a not quite a superior tagging system, but still has uh, a lot of good fanfic to go through. One of the other developments lately has been that there's a large Doctor Who fanfic community on Tumblr. uh, Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit more difficult because it's harder to find and bookmark and save fanfic that you're enjoying on Tumblr. But there's a lot of people who enjoy the 
more social media-like experience of being able to read fic and engage with the author right there. And there's uh, several fan artists that I know mm-hmm. who also uh, do fan art, and then they'll maybe write a short drabble that accompanies the fan art, or right. fan uh, writers will jump on that bit of fan art and write a whole bunch of fanfic for it, which I definitely did once and was very enjoyable. So definitely check out the tags on Tumblr to see what you can find there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that wraps up our conversation of fan fiction now. Thank you, Shannon, for jumping back on the podcast to talk about it with us. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to This Week in Time Travel. We're going to have a very special episode next week, but we'll leave that mysterious for now because we're just that way. You can find us on the web at thisweekintimetravel.com or on Twitter at drwhothisweek. My Twitter address is numeral two-minute time lord Alyssa's is Whovian feminism which you can also find her on tumblr with paul cornell is at paul underscore cornell shannon is on twitter at starfury 10 that's a number not a name and you can find us on facebook as well thanks to christopher breen for our original theme music to david j lore for our original podcast logo and avatar Please review us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network. And remember to tell all your friends about us. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for joining us for This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.